Good morning, church. Our scripture reading this morning is uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. A wise man once told me, uh, there are many firsts in your lives, and this is one of them. So bear with me. False prophets and teachers. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and their greed will, be, will they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserve Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day by day, he was tormented his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they will not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, those greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction." suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they escape the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness 
then after knowing it, it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What is true, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to lift up this morning to you, Lord, and, and uh, just enable Jackie to explain this chapter uh, more fully uh, to us, Lord, and just be him and, and help it to reach out to those, those who, who, who will hear it this morning, Lord. Lord, I, I, I pray that you, you give us, keep us on the, the, the narrow path, for there are not many paths, Lord. There are but just one, Lord. And we just want to lift this all up to you. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to wrap up Second Peter chapter 2 and delve into chapter 3. And we've been talking about false teachers for several weeks, discussing the, the concern. Uh, it was such a concern that obviously Peter focused Second Peter on that problem and so did Jude, if you read Jude, very similar passages in the book of Jude. But when we come to false teachers, here is the thing you have to understand. People throw that around like it's so simple. Everybody and their sister is a false teacher, if you, depending on who you watch or who you listen to. Here's what the Bible says about a false teacher. A false teacher is not someone who teaches something false out of ignorance a false teacher biblically is one that um, teaches it uh, purposefully for himself for financial gain it's one thing to say someone has a false uh, interpretation and it's another thing to say someone is a false teacher you are proclaiming Anathema, they're lost, they're not saved. A false teacher is someone who is false to the point of they do not possess the spirit. We'll see that today as we look in the text. So we want to make that distinction. And the Bible shows us the distinction. If you guys just pause for a moment in 2 Peter and look at Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, beginning at verse 24, we're introduced to a Jew named Apollos. You guys remember Apollos? Apollos is a very proficient speaker, well gifted in oratory skills. The scripture tells us, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. But he only knew the baptism of John. So he had an incomplete understanding. He didn't understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He didn't understand the baptism of Jesus Christ. The baptism is a public proclamation, right, of a transformation that's taken in your life. And so he teaches this, Priscilla and Aquila see him. It says in verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the word of God more accurately. See, Priscilla and Aquila recognized him as a brother who didn't have a complete understanding. And so they came together 
and they explained the word more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures the Christ, the Messiah, was Jesus. So you have someone who is a brother who didn't have the whole picture. The Bible never calls him a false teacher. They never, Priscilla and Aquila, who were there when he taught incompletely what the scriptures had laid out, they didn't stand up and declare him a heretic. They took him aside and they explained the way more accurately to him. And later on in Corinthians, you're going to hear Paul talk about who, how people were, were separating themselves by saying, I'm of Paul. And another guy would say, I'm of Apollos. And another would say, I'm of Cephas. And another would say, I'm of Jesus. They were dividing by their favorite teachers. None of which were heretics or false teachers. When the Bible talks about a false teacher, a false teacher is someone who deliberately teaches lies in hope of self-promotion. This is a biblical definition. A biblical definition. They're trying to gain. They are able to live in sin and please themselves because they are a professor, not a possessor of the Holy Spirit. They use deceptive means and they twist the word of God. If you remember last time, and if often actually, I, I love talking about the Bible. I love spending time chewing on things, uh, even arguing over interpretations. People will often ask me about uh, translations. Jackie, what's the best translation? That, that's a misnomer. The best translation of the Bible is the Bible you will read. And then I added an adage, you remember? Just not the Passion Bible. The Passion Bible is heretical. Well, Jackie, why would you say that? Because the person who provides for us the Passion Bible, it is not a translation, though it says it is. The Passion Bible is written by a man, I don't remember his name, but you guys can look it up. It's written by a man who got a special word from God about difficult passages and their interpretation, and that special word is what he has delivered in the Passion Translation. And there are a lot of people who are pulled in by it and the translations that it gives the definitions that it uses are utterly false but when you say this is not what this word means this is not what the greek how the greek reads they say well this was a special revelation from god okay well in that case then it's all bad so if you have one you don't have to have a book burning just get rid of it don't take it to a thrift store where someone else will pick it up. Just get rid of it. It makes false claims to special knowledge from God. And it has none of those things. When the, when the Bible lays out these things, chapter 2 tells us that the false teacher is under condemnation. I want you to understand, he, he spends this whole chapter saying, hey, the false teachers will be judged. A lot of times people look out over the wicked and they say, Lord, why aren't you doing anything about the wicked? In chapter 3, we're going to see that the scripture tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 that the Lord's not slack concerning his promises, but he is 
long-suffering. Why? He is giving time for repentance. I'm thankful for the time God gave me for repentance, and I don't want to deny that time to anyone. But there will be a judgment for the false teacher, the one who has no relationship with Christ, who professes Christ but denies him in every other aspect. That is what a false teacher is. Not a confused believer, but someone set out to deliberately deceive for financial gain or power or whatever. Their condemnation, we see the scripture told us in 2 Peter chapter 2, three examples. You remember, we talked about these. Grab the tape, you can check it out again. He talked about the angels that sinned. What did God do with them? He locked them up in chains, in gloomy darkness, awaiting judgment. The ancient world before the flood, the Lord judged it. Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened there? God judged. And then he made this declaration. So God knows how to preserve the righteous, right? And judge the wicked. And so we see the judgment of God that's going to be upon him. And then you have a distinction in 2 Peter where, second, where Peter's trying to help us understand the difference in character. The character of the false teacher or the false believer or the professor who does not possess Christ. Their character is one of pride, ignorance, lust, covetousness, and they follow the way of Balaam, who was a prophet for hire, or a prophet for profit, who didn't care about what was true, he wanted paid, and who died with the unbelievers. Then you have that in conjunction in 2 Peter chapter 1, with a divine character of a believer. And that divine character he has through great and precious promises received, he is a partaker of the divine nature, meaning his nature has changed. And now his nature is one of faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, and he is a follower of Jesus Christ. So Peter is painting these two pictures to say, you need to, to recognize the distinction. If you look and there's no distinction, this is where Peter is challenging us. Make your election sure. He's saying, are you a believer? Because here's the key in this chapter. Outer reformation without inner transformation results in spiritual incarceration, bondage. The, the false believer, they're making claims, false promises by false believers with false experiences. And we'll see these all through the scripture. Their challenge is, look, if you follow us, you'll be free. But the word, you guys know words mean different things from different people, right? Yes? You're, you're smart enough to know just because somebody uses the same word, we're not talking about the same thing? Every politician, whether on the left or the right, uses the word freedom. They don't mean the same thing. Do they? A false believer, a false teacher will challenge you and say, follow me. We're, this is freedom. Freedom from religious oppression. Freedom from all this legalism. I, if I, somebody tells me how legalistic I'm getting again, 
I'm going to lose my ever-loving mind. <laughs> freedom from legalism. And freedom from, basically, it's freedom to do whatever you want. That's the message of a false teacher. Ultimately, freedom to sin. And don't worry about it. You'll, you're forgiven. It doesn't matter what you do. Yet this is not how we learn Christ. Christ spoke of a different freedom. Christ spoke of freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. The Lord declared that whomever you present yourself to to obey, you are the slave of that one. So the point is, you are slaves to something. You are either a slave to sin or you're a slave to Christ. In slavery to Christ, I have freedom from sin. In slavery to the world or to false teachers, I have freedom to sin. Those two roads do not go to the same place. When we talk about the freedom of Christ, he has made us free from the penalty of sin. Romans tells us that's justification. A, a declaration by the judge that I am not guilty. It's a, it's a, defin, it's a, a declaration from the judge. I'm still guilty of what I've done, but the judge has declared me not guilty. Justification. Saved from the penalty of sin. The soul that sins shall die. I'm free from the power of sin. That's the act of sanctification. As I read my Bible and pray every day, as I pour the word of God in, he is changing me. Inner transformation is taking place. My nature is changing. I used to want to eat sheep. Now I am one. Do you understand? It's an inner transformation. Not just putting on sheep's clothes. It's a transformation. The wolf becomes a sheep. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The lion will eat straw like the ox. What is that talking about? Inner transformation. Not outer reformation. It's not cleaning the lion or the pig or the dog, right? As we'll see at the end of the chapter. But what is it? It's a transformation of nature. You've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. I'm becoming like him. Sanctification. And I'm saved from the presence of sin. That's glorification. That's the day I see his face. Right? When I leave this earth and I stand before my Savior and, and like Jude declares, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and who will present you without fault blameless before the Father. In his great joy, the reality that I have been saved from the penalty, power, and presence of sin... That's what Christ does. It's not absolute freedom to do what you want. If you want absolute freedom to do what you want, that's a different teaching altogether. Paul will begin the majority of his books with this phrase. Paul, a doulos of God, a bond slave to Jesus Christ. A slave by choice, chosen slavery to him. This is the... The distinction that is being painted by Peter. So we would understand not to make flippant statements about false teachers of everybody who disagrees with you. Have you ever met someone who agrees with everything you think? I've never met that person. 
If you have, I would like their name and number so I could hang out. <laughs> Not for people who think exactly like I think, but people who follow a risen Savior, whose lives are devoted to Him. Those are the ones that we want to make sure we're watching, paying attention to. I'm going to tell you this. I, I would say just, just to be safe, just, just do yourself a favor and turn off YouTube. And turn off, even if you're just watching me, just turn it off. Stop. Open your Bible and read. Pour the word in. Jackie, I won't understand it. The Bible says that's not true. The Bible teaches us that through the Spirit, God will give us understanding. We pray and ask and we read. And write down notes and we can ask questions and talk about those things. Do yourself a favor. Before you run to an interpretation, which is what preaching is, you first need private observation of the word. And you need the whole counsel of God, not just a piece. So our goal is to read through the Bible, right? Every year, a believer ought to read through the Bible at least one time. We're providing you a way to do that. So you don't have to worry about error. And then we'll gather and talk about those things and be encouraged. And once you've observed and you're taking in the word, now you want to watch somebody, you go for it. But first, you pour that word of God in. Here's the claims of the false teachers. We're going to pick it up in verse 17 this morning. Don't worry, I'm almost done. This is uh, under number one in my notes. <laughs> I don't know how many numbers. I have a lot more. Here's their claims, right? These false teachers. They are waterless springs and mists driven by the storm. And for them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. See, everything a false teacher says is based on false promises. False teachers are, are quick to say things to you like, just come to me, come to Christ, and all your problems will go away. I remember when I was a youth pastor 100 years ago, and I was watching some, somebody late night, and it was a youth ministry on TV. I have no idea who it was. doesn't matter. And they were discussing, and they said, just come to Jesus, and all your problems will go away. And, and I sit there and go, well, what did I do wrong? <laughs> but if you spend some time reading the word, it's not that your problems will go away. You have someone with you to guide you through them. That's a different message. It's not the same thing. All your problems will not go away. In fact, they may increase. But now you have a guide who will lead you through those problems. These false teachers, they make promises they can't keep. They are waterless springs. I went hunting one time with Robin Quigley. So for those of you who have ever done that, don't. Wait, is Robin here? I said, did say hi to him. Oh, he's behind the post. Sorry, brother. <laughs> First time I ever gone hunting, I go with Robin. So I'm, I'm fat and out of shape. 
So basically, when I say I want to go hunting, what I want you to do is go find a deer, tie it to a tree, and bring me out. <laughs> and, then, and then I'll shoot it. That's my favorite kind of hunting, just so you know. Robin, he picks me up, and I'm there, I don't know nothing. So we're going hunting up in pine, and all I know is it's cold. So I've got on 17 different layers of, of uh, long underwear, and we go on like a 47-mile hump. So about halfway, I tell, I finally say to Rob, Rob, I got to stop. He's like looking at me like, what's wrong with you? I literally have steam just pouring out <laughs> from under. So, so thankfully, none of you guys were there. But I, I stripped down to my skivvies. I'm, he's like, oh, what are you wearing all that for? I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm dying right now. This has got to go. So I take off all these layers. I take, a, take them all off. And I am throwing water down like crazy. Bottle after bottle after bottle after bottle. And we get all the way, finally we get all the way out to the saddle that we're, that we're going to hunt. And we sit down, eat lunch, and take a nap. <laughs> now, every time I've gone hunting with Robin, this is the best part of the hunt. We sit down and we eat lunch, and he looks at me and goes, I'm just going to get a little shut-eye. And I'm like, oh, yes! <laughs> Which is exactly why I have missed every elk that has ever come in, because Jackie is taking a nap at the time. That's why Ron shot an elk when we were out elk hunting, because Jackie was taking a nap, which is what Robin taught me. I don't know what to tell you guys. <laughs> so when we're coming back from that hunt, I am tired, and the last bit is just all uphill, and I run out of water. So I don't have no water. And Robin says, oh, don't worry. I have this handy-dandy thing here that will make water out of mud. <laughs> and it's a good thing because all we could find were springs with mud and no water. You don't know how disappointing a spring with mud and no water is. Because what you really want to do is just stick your hands in there and drink. But you can't. It makes a promise it can't keep. Now, false teachers, maybe they think they got this handy-dandy deal that they can stick down in the mud and pull fresh water out. But you're, you look a little weird when you drink that, just so you know. He stuck that thing down in the mud, and he pulled with all his might. And a little bit of water came into it. And then he put it in a bottle and says, here you go, Jackie. I know that's water. This might be a spot where the elk's peeing. <laughs> I don't know about that. I want to see water flowing through the spring. These guys are guys who are like a waterless spring. It looks like it's going to be good, but you get there and uh, it's no good. False promises. False teachers are full of false promises. They're like mist blown around by the wind, and you think it's going to bring rain. Here comes clouds. Oh, they're going to bring rain, but they're just blowing by. They don't have anything to give. But God's promises are not like that. The promises of God's word are not like that. 1 Kings 8, 56 says, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people, Israel, according to all he has promised. God's promises come true. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. 
Not one. Isaiah 55 asks the question of you and I. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me that your soul may live. God's promises are true. John 4, verse 13, Jesus standing with the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. The satisfaction that we find in our relationship with Christ Revelation chapter 7 verse 17 says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be the shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. The promises of God are true. There is satiation. There is what we need there. Revelation 21.6, He said to me, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment the Lord says I will give you water I will satisfy you in a dry and thirsty land I love what Debbie shared because this year uh, well actually the well, it's last several months but certainly in 2021 in 25 years of ministry I could count on one hand how many suicides I performed a funeral for in 2021 I don't have enough fingers on both hands. Just this year. For people who have lost hope. But the truth is, if you will pour the word of God in day by day by day by day, develop a godly discipline that says, I need God's word to sustain me. One of the side effects of that is joy. Isn't that what we want? Is not feeling lonely because the Lord is with you. He will comfort you. We want that truth. Listen, with a false teacher, you have a promise of truth but no real substance. A promise of deliverance with no real deliverance. Jude said it this way in Jude verse 12. They are hidden reefs at your love feasts. They feast with you without fear. They're shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in autumn, twice dead and uprooted. That's not describing a believer, just so you know. A believer is described this way. I was once dead in my trespasses and sin, but now I have been made alive in Christ Jesus. Right? So this is what's being described. There's noise, there's motion, there's something to watch but nothing profitable. And they may gather a lot of followers, but they don't have anything to say. They don't have anything to, to give that will profit. They promise a liberty that leads only to bondage. Verse 18, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by spiritual or sensual passion of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So they're enticing those who are, are just starting to come into an understanding of who Christ is. 
maybe they haven't even entered into salvation yet, but they're, they're being drawn, they're being pulled by the, the message of the gospel perhaps, and then there are these there, false teachers, what's their goal? Like the birds Jesus talked about in the parable of the sower, the seed is cast and the birds swoop in and do what? Eat it up. They take it away. Three out of four examples of the parable of the sower end in a state of lostness. One in four ends in a state of salvation. They accept the seed and grow. Three of four, they maybe grab the seed and there's a short spurt of growth and then what happens? Cares of this world, choke it out. The birds of the air, they snatch it up. We want that seed that's going to bring forth life. We want to be obedient to him. Not a promise of something that can't be fulfilled, but the reality. They appeal to the old appetites. They appeal to the old nature. But you see, if you've come to Christ, it's not just outer reformation. It's inner transformation. You are not the same. If you come to Christ and you say, I'm exactly the same, then I will say you have outer reformation, not inner transformation. And you need the new life of the Holy Spirit within you. Makes us a new creation created in Christ Jesus. I'm not the old creation. I'm not the old man. I don't have the old appetite in the same way. I have a new appetite. My new appetite is for Christ. I want him. I want his word. And so these false teachers will have no mention of sin or repentance. Well, why would you need that? Egotistical men filled with pride. They don't need to repent of anything. They've never done anything wrong. They appeal to the immature the ones who are not grounded in the faith, barely escaping from those who live in error. Young believers who don't yet know, they are the ones that they are feeding off of. And what is reserved for them? The blackness of darkness. That's judgment, right? That's not judgment for a believer, is it? Is what's, what, what a believer receives in judgment is the blackness of darkness? Or eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. That's different, right? So here is what we see is this false teacher. They are false professors. Look at verse 19. They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state for them is worse than the first. Jesus told this same parable, right? About a man who had a demon, and a demon is cast out, and he cleans his house. You remember? He cleans his house. He got it all cleaned, out of reformation. Everything looks good. But nobody else moved into the house. So then seven demons enter back into the man, and his state is worse then than it was at the first. 
Peter is saying the same thing. These guys have an outer reformation, but there's been no transformation that has taken place in their life. So they are escaping the, the lies of the world by trying to clean up the outside. What did Jesus call the Pharisees? Whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. Transformation, they would say, I was dead in trespasses and sin, but now I'm alive in Christ. That's transformation, right? Not whitewashed tombs, not painting the outside, not outer reformation, but inner transformation. That's only a work Christ can do, right? Yeah? And Christ tells us who he does that for. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever calls. Whosoever bows the knee, proclaims with his mouth the Lord Jesus and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead. He shall be, that's Romans 10, 9 and 10. Scripture is clear. It's, it's not muddy. It's not confusing. It's not di difficult. I was dead, and Christ has made me alive. How did he do it? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. He did it through the proclamation of the gospel. And the proclamation of the gospel brings me to life. And I reach out for my Lord and Savior, and he saves me. It's always been this way. This is the attitude that we see throughout Scripture. But these guys, they're not free. They themselves are slaves of corruption, not slaves of Christ. They're still slaves to sin. This is not the same thing as a person who struggles in sin. Do you guys know the difference between struggling and being a slave too? Struggling in sin, I can proclaim the thing I'm struggling with is sin... And I can ask the Lord to forgive me for that sin and give me strength to overcome. That's struggling in sin. Being a slave of sin, I'm not asking for help. I'm just giving every effort of every day of every moment to satisfy the gluttony for sin. That's a slave of sin. They are slaves of corruption. They have bondage to money. They have bondage to lust. They have bondage to pride. This is why Peter said... In this book, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, he said, In their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not sleep. This is the judgment that is upon the false, the untrue. 2 Peter 2, 10 through 12. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, like brute beasts. He's not talking about people who have been transformed inwardly. And we know that because we get to the end of the chapter. The dogs are still dogs. The pigs are still pigs. Believers are sheep. We are called in Scripture to beware the deceitfulness of sin. 
We as brothers and sisters come around one another. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, exhort one another today as long as it is called today. So how often should we exhort one another? How often should we be encouraging one another? Every day, right? That none of you would be hardened with the deceitfulness of sin. Just a little more will be enough. No such thing. Hunger for sin. These guys promise life and bring death. Slowly binding their followers all the while thinking that they are free. False Christians can only offer false freedom by sharing false promises. There's nothing real there. And it always involves a false experience. Look at verse 21 and 22. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness and after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. It would be better if they had never cleaned the house. But the fact that they have cleaned the house and they think they put it all in order. They think that they've established it all and it's all done. And so the problem is you have someone, it's a false believer who thinks they've had an experience, a conversion experience that they haven't had because they have not been transformed. They're not a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has ordained before that they should walk in them. They have a false profession through false promises and they are false teachers. It'd be better if they never cleaned the house. Because now they cleaned the house, an outer reformation, they think they've done it. I'm checking the box. I'm, I'm showing up. I, I went to church this week. Maybe I even went twice. I checked the box. I read my Bible once. I prayed last month. Check the box. But I have no inner transformation. I have outer reformation. And we can't hold that together. And this is what he is declaring. It would have been better that they never knew. Because then at least they would think they need Christ. Now they think they have them. So what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog still has the dog's nature. You see it? The pig still has the pig's nature. <clears throat> J. Vernon McGee used to tell the story of the prodigal son. But he had an extra chapter in the story of the prodigal son called the story of the prodigal pig. It would go like this. The prodigal son, you guys know the story of the prodigal son. He leaves his father, says, I wish you were dead, takes his inheritance, goes off, wastes it all on, on uh, frivolent living, and then he wakes up one day in the pig's pen, right? Eating slop with the pigs. And there he awakens, his appetite awakens for the things in his father's house. Yes? And the prodigal son says, oh man, what am I doing? It's better to be a slave in my father's house than to be in the pig's pen. So he gets up. And one of the pigs says, I'm coming with you. I don't want to eat the stuff in the pig's pen no more. I want to go to your father's house. And so they go together. 
They go back together. Do you know the difference between a prodigal son and a prodigal pig? The nature of the pig will always take it back to the mire, to the mud, to the pen. The nature of the son will always bring the son back to his father's house. Do you understand that false profession, a false conversion, a false promise, following false teachers, they, they, all of those things, those things are not salvific. They're not saving. And so the nature of the one who is following them reverts back to what it does. A dog acts like a dog. A pig acts like a pig. But if you were a pig or a dog who came to Christ and there's an inner transformation, the Bible calls you a sheep. You will act like a sheep. Now don't go thinking that's something special. <laughs> sheep get lost. Sheep end up in the wrong place. But at the end of the day, they are sheep. No matter what they started as. When we look at the teaching of these false teachers and the things that are being laid out listen to how the bible talks about them jude which also speaks strongly against false teachers in jude verse 19 it says it is these false teachers who cause division listen worldly people devoid of the spirit is that a believer no can it be a make-believer yes has the nature changed? No. Now let me, let's go back to the story J. Vernon McGee used to tell. You know when the prodigal son and the prodigal pig are both in the pig's pen, it's hard to tell them apart. Do you know? You can't always tell them apart. Which one is it? Which one's which? Which one's real? Which one's not real? The distinction is made by the nature of the one who has been transformed. It doesn't mean a sheep won't ever forget who they are and end up in the mud for a while. It means that when they're in the mud for a while, they'll do what? They'll repent, confess, and return. Right? Because their nature desires relationship with the one who saved them. And if that is missing, Jude 19 would say that's false. False believer, false teacher, false conversion. Romans 8 verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Now, do not be confused. There are people who would say, the evidence that you have the Spirit is speaking in tongues. That's not in Scripture anywhere. That's not there. All people do not speak in tongues, nor are they required to speak in tongues as proof of their salvation. But they all will have the Holy Spirit. How do I know you have the Holy Spirit? Your nature has been transformed. Your nature has been changed. Like this. You know somebody's a lion because a lion walks around and eats things. You would be confused at the nature of a lion if you watched a lion eat straw. Right? You would go, that's weird. On the outside, it looks like a lion, but something's 
different. Isn't that how the kingdom of God is, is depicted in Isaiah chapter 11? We always say things like the lion will lay down with the lamb, but we know it's the wolf that lies down with the lamb. Why? Because the wolf's nature is to eat the lamb. But in the kingdom of God, the wolf lies down with the lamb. Why? Because its nature has been transformed. How? By the Spirit of God. It's not about whether someone had a supernatural experience or a supernatural gift. It's whether or not your outer reformation has seen inner transformation. The Bible gives us this as evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You will love one another. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Why? Because we in our natural state are not people who love one another. We love self. But with Christ in us, we become those who love one another. Peter describes this new birth in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. God did it, right? We call on his name, Lord. And he does it. We have been, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God does. 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So love one another from a pure heart since you have been born again. Since you have been born again, you are able to express love for one another. Jesus said, they'll know you belong to me by the way you love one another. Inner transformation. Remember, he, he, he admonished us in chapter 1 of 2 Peter that we as believers are partakers of the divine nature. God has begun an inward transformation in our life. He says in 2 Peter 1.4, By which he has granted to us his precious and great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He's changing you from the inside out. Peter always describes believers as sheep. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Inner transformation. At the end of 2 Peter chapter 2, the pig is still a pig. The dog is still a dog. True believers... Receive a new nature, a divine nature. They have become something new. They have new appetites. An appetite for the Lord, an appetite for his word. They have been transformed from pigs and dogs into sheep. The warning in Second Peter is... Be wary of those who only have an outer reformation without an inner transformation because if you follow them, it will lead you to spiritual incarceration. 
bondage to sin rather than bondage to Christ. And I want you desperately to understand that your protection from the concern that you may be having right now flowing through your mind is simple. Pour the word of God in. Pour it in. Pour it through your, speak it out loud so you hear it. Read it, listen to it, pour it in. There's a lot of good things we can do as believers that will encourage us. There's one thing that will cause us to grow. Read the word of God. Read it every single day. I shared with you before, Elisha and the school of the prophets and the group of the prophets got together and they made a horrible stew. They couldn't cook. And they put something in the stew that was garbage. It was poison. In fact, they said, don't eat that. It's got death in the pot. The prophet gave the word, you want to get death out of the pot, you pour the meal in. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You want to get the poison out of your pot, Pour the word of God in and watch the word of God do. What Does the word return void ever? What if I'm in a bad mood when I do it? If, that, if it mattered what mood you were in, I would be hopelessly lost. <laughs> because I don't ever wake up happy. I'm not happy Christmas morning. I'm not happy any morning. I do not wake up with filled with joy. It used to take at least one monster to get me there. Now, I just long for the days when it used to take me one monster to get there. <laughs> not that I ever, I, I'm not trying to lie to you. I, if you see me at the co-op, I'm stealing a monster when I shouldn't. However... There's infinitely less than there used to be. If I had to wake up and just be happy, and then that is the only way the word of God would work. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what attitude I come to the word. The Bible says the word of God will never return void. It will always accomplish that to which it is sent. It is never a waste to receive or hear or be a part of the word of God, ever. And I know, I the Lord had this plan for me because he knew I have problems with reading programs, I have problems with rules, I have problems following anything, I can't follow a diet, I don't like somebody telling me what to eat or what not to eat. Uh, I have all these rebellious parts of my old nature that still rear their ugly head but I know when I'm obedient to the Lord and I pour his word in he convicts me of those areas I can repent confess them seek his deliverance from them the word does not return void it changes us allow God's word to do that don't be lazy Christians who think I just got to go to someone who tells me what it means don't. 
Be poured in. Develop a diet of the word. And watch this year how God transforms your life. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth that your word declares to us. And may we, God, choose to be men and women who want to pursue that which you have for us, God. We want to pursue all that you have for us. We want to see uh, you move in might and power in our lives, God. We want to be careful of those whom we give the authority to speak into our life. We want to choose that which is real and true and not that which is false. We want to follow the example that Peter gives us of making our election sure. To be aware, Lord God, of who you are. To be anchored in the truth of your word and to hold fast. To lift our eyes in these days to the heavens. For we know where our help comes from. To see God your word lived out in our lives as we surrender to you. God I pray for each one that is here today Lord God. If, if your spirit is convicting then surrender to the conviction. Confess, repent, believe. And then be a follower of Christ, not a follower of Balaam. Be a follower of the true, not a follower of the false. Hold fast to that which God has given. May we put our hope, our prayer and the truth and the reality, Lord, that you are able to keep us. And we thank you, Lord.